Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar. Weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. Happy Friday, Memorial Day weekend. You have not only made it to the weekend, that's always uh, something to pat yourself on the back for, but you made it to the long weekend. So uh, obviously uh, take a moment to consider what Memorial Day is for, but also make sure you enjoy the uh, extra day off of work. Feels like maybe, maybe summer's around the corner, even though you wouldn't know today because it's raining again, but uh, you know, what are you going to do? The Denver Broncos... At OTAs, uh, yesterday, of course, uh, had practice. Surprisingly, uh, Javante Williams made an appearance. And let's start there, Sandy, because uh, I had an opportunity. We'll, we'll spoiler alert. Soon enough, it'll be out. In fact, probably be out by the end of this show. Uh, the Broncos Blitz podcast, which has been uh, on My Life Sports for years and years. Uh, I am taking over that podcast as the regular host and did that uh, today with uh, Cody Rourke, of course, who follows us right here. Uh, every weeknight uh, with Danilo Piro. Uh, Cody, of course, was at the Valley. He's the lead Broncos writer for Mile High Sports, and uh, he and I recorded the podcast just a little bit ago, so that'll be out a little bit later today. But we talked about the idea that, that Javante Williams was out there doing uh, drills. I mean, it wasn't, you know, it's not... Limited. It's very limited. At the same time, here's the part that I think is interesting. Here we are in May. And yesterday, okay, he's on pads. He's, he's out doing some very limited drills. Nothing Javante Williams did yesterday is going to make him better at football in the fall. Nothing. But Sean Payton, who keeps a very tight lid on things, as a matter of fact, the Broncos' own website yesterday morning said that Javante Williams was not expected to participate in any of the OTA drills. Only two hours, but published that only two hours before Javante Williams hit the field for the Broncos. To me, and I don't necessarily mean this in a bad way, Javante Williams' appearance at practice yesterday was not for Javante Williams, nor was it for the Broncos. It was for us and for the fans. It was for consumption for a fan base and for media that had questioned the likelihood of Javante Williams being ready for the beginning of the season because there's otherwise uh, I still question what he did could have been done. Uh, it could have been done indoors. It could have been, a, but he was out there to be seen. And I don't think there's a question about that. Uh, very possibly. And I still have my doubts. So, but I've been surprised before and we've talked about this. Uh, Ryan Clady, uh, to right. a tendon in his knee playing basketball during an off season. I think, prior to the 2010 campaign. And Josh McDaniels, among others, was none too pleased about that. And Ryan Clady made it his mission, not necessarily to be ready by the start of training camp, but to be ready by the start of the season and not miss a game. And he did not miss a game. In 2010, I believe it was 10, uh, it could have been 09, but I think it was 2000. But it, 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 the recovery can be possible. And uh, the Broncos, who did not do anything significant besides uh, Samaji P. Ryan, a, a free agent addition that we both quite like, uh, out of Cincinnati, who I think still has some uh, NFL parlance upside left. But uh, otherwise, they didn't add a lot. Uh, Julio McLaughlin raising a couple eyebrows, the undrafted players, the uh, NCAA's all-time leader in rushing yards, uh, down in what we used to call D2. The Broncos did not at least add any uh, NFL experienced players of significance beyond 
Pirine. And that, of course, lends a little bit more credence to the notion that they really truly believe that Javante Williams will be ready, uh, if not at the beginning of the year, close enough to it that they're okay with riding with Pirine uh, for a, a couple games as their primary guy and, and figuring it out as they go. And it's true that running backs, especially as backups, uh, fairly or unfairly, are somewhat fungible in today's NFL. Uh, you can get them. You can grab the Latavius Murrays of the world uh, just about any time you want them and plug them in, and they can generally be effective as a running back uh, picking up a playbook. That's the easiest job that there is on the offense. So I, I can see why they didn't do it, but it's, it is intriguing to me to have Williams out there because under Sean Payton, the offense that he is expected to run, running to set up the pass, uh, Bill Parcells style, investing big money in the offensive line. Uh, the running game is going to be what drives the Broncos offense, and Russell Wilson will be part of uh, basically the beneficiary, if everything goes well, of the focus on stopping the run. Yeah, I'm, I, I've heard coach after coach over the years come in here and say the run will, will set up the pass. And that never really happened. You you pass to get the lead. You run to protect the lead. Every coach in the league practices that, although many, if not all, of those coaches say it's the other way around. It isn't. It's never been. Lombardi never ran to set up the pass. He passed to set up the run. Um, he had the most sophisticated passing attack in the NFL. Why do coaches even say that, Dan? I don't know. We I don't know. Right? It's all circumstance dependent. If you're behind... This is why to take great backs out of the game, all you have to do is get the lead against them. Right. And then you neutralize them. The best way to neutralize the great running back is to take him out of the game by making it impossible for the opponent to run the ball because you don't score points by running the ball. You protect yourself, maybe take fewer risks than you would in the passing game when you're behind. But you still, when you're behind, you pass. That's the that's the only way to score points and catch up. So uh, we'll see. Uh, I do agree with this, though. Russell Wilson will have to prove that he can throw the ball if he wants to throw it more than 30 a game because they're not going to do what they did last year. It, it, they'll be doing it with somebody else if he can't get the job done throwing the ball they'll find somebody else there and and the idea that that might happen sooner rather than later of course is uh, a, a possibility that's been brought up because sean payton is looking at this team through a fresh lens over at espn uh this morning when they were, they were on their get up program they had an opportunity uh to talk to some NFL writers, obvious uh, NFL writers and beat coverages. And they had an opportunity with uh, Mike Tannenbaum to pop on and talk about the idea of uh, since Sean Payton is new to the team and because he is sort of a Bill Parcells disciple is a nice oh, way of saying it, uh, uh, sort of clone, uh, mini-me yes. uh, to a certain oh, extent. I, I think so. Much more like Bill Parcells than Bill Belichick ever was. Because Bill Belichick, especially late in his association with Bill Parcells, clashed with Parcells repeatedly. And so if you're looking for a real comparison between Sean Payton and one of the great all-time head coaches, it's not with Belichick, it's with Parcells. And 
Parcells, even with quarterbacks he liked, would yell at them all the time. Call them out. Well, the idea that Russell Wilson, given his his contract situation, which is, of course, complicated, but uh, Wilson's... Wilson turns 35 this year, Sandy. 35 in, in November. So the idea that uh, if things don't turn around quickly, that the Broncos might end up looking somewhere else sooner rather than later, that's been around, of course, since last year. The idea that the, the Broncos could somehow do that. Now, granted, it'd be a massive dead cap number, but as we've seen, DeAndre Hopkins released today for the Cardinals, $21 million uh, hit for him not oh, to play for yeah, them. Yeah, and maybe even a little more than that. But and, yeah, uh, you're, you're exactly right. The, the idea that it would less afraid they're not afraid of taking it. big cap hits. Now, it they're would not. be far more if they were to let Wilson 39 go $39 million year. if it was after this year. $39 uh, uh, million would be the uh, that that dead cap hit roughly. Uh, it could be, by the way, depending on the way this is calculated, as high as $85 million. That may be prohibitive. So it kind of yeah, feels yeah. Uh, like he's sticking around. But at the same for, time... For at least two more years. The money may not be the deciding factor. Sean Payton was brought in to get this team back to win. Right. He doesn't have to play because he's making a lot of money. He just can't get rid of them right away because he is making so much money. And the and the dead cap hit would be, prohibitive, I, I think, I prohibitive. Think. And, but... but the, Sean Payton is under no obligation to play Russell Wilson, if healthy, 17 times this year. Mike Tannenbaum, a good reporter for the NFL, was on ESPN. Uh, Former NFL executive. Uh, Right. Knows exactly what he's talking about. Uh, Talked a little bit today about Sean Payton and Russell Wilson and the fact that Wilson's seat is really as precarious as any other player's. Greedy, let me take you behind the curtains. The first meeting in Denver, I worked for Coach Parcells in 1997 with the New York Jets. Sean Payton worked for Bill Parcells. Here's exactly what he said. Fellas, I go by what I see. The best players will play. Russell Wilson isn't fighting for his legacy. He's fighting for his job. He could care about a salary cap charge, dead money. The best players will play. They will draft his replacement if he doesn't do everything he says from day one. If you go back to his press conference, Sean Payton talked about there will be no outside coaches, mm-hmm. mentors yep. in the building. Yeah. He he is the new Take sheriff of the town. That's right. And he is beholden to no one, including Russell Wilson's guaranteed money. He may not wait for the draft either if he's looking That's to replace the Russell Wilson. Jarrett Stidham is here. And as Mark Kisla correctly noted in the Denver Post today, what Peyton had to say back in March about Jarrett Stidham went far beyond what you'll usually hear when a backup quarterback is brought to the scene. It was much more enthusiastic, uh, much more, frankly, uh, ominous, though I don't think, I think they thread the needle in this respect, Jarrett Stidham will not be a training camp threat to Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson, if healthy, will start on opening day here against the Raiders. And he will probably get the first half of the season. uh, Whether he performs well or not. But how long they stretch it beyond that, I think will be dependent on his performance and showing tangible signs that he is at least an average NFL starting quarterback. He was nowhere near 
being an NFL starting quarterback last year. He was clearly one of the worst five quarterbacks in the league. That never changed during the course of the season. People talk about the last five or six games. The last five or six games, Jerry Judy got better. Russell Wilson didn't get better. Jerry Judy got better. And Jerry Judy made Russell Wilson look good. Russell Wilson didn't make Jerry Judy look good. Jerry Judy made Jerry Judy look good. Chris Sims uh, has put to, he puts together a list uh, about this time of the, the top, what he believes, the 40 quarterbacks in the league. Sims had Stidham ranked 32nd. Now, they're mm-hmm. 32 NFL teams. So that's a borderline <laughs> starter, borderline right? Starter. So that's the idea. But here's what Sean Payton said specifically about him in the offseason. Quote, I think he's a number two whose arrow is moving in a direction where we feel he can become an NFL starter in our league. That is not a particularly wishy-washy statement. It is, and it's much more definitive than a coach usually would be regarding the acquisition of a backup quarterback. And he continued, the evaluation was pretty crystal clear for all of us. I think he's going to be someone who's great in the room. He's smart. So quietly, that was an important signing for us. And by the room, he doesn't mean an office on the second floor that no longer exists for Russell Wilson. That's not what he meant by Stidham being great in the room. He meant Stidham being great in his room, in his quarterbacking room. And to think Sean Payton, though he is the head coach, will have no influence on the coaching, nurturing, and admonishment, if need be, of quarterbacks is a foolish perception to have. He will be centrally involved. In Sims' case, talked about Stidham's release as being sneaky quick, something that's uh, obviously important in today's NFL. Look, I, I don't believe that the Broncos picked Jared Stidham and signed him to replace Russell Wilson. I don't believe that's the plan. I think the plan Not right away. I think the plan is get Russell Wilson back to being the Pro Bowl caliber quarterback he's been. That'll never happen. That is the plan. That'll never happen. Oh, wow. And if, okay. if that's the plan, they're fools. And I don't think Sean Payton's a fool. Um So you believe Stidham is here to eventually replace Wilson as soon as No, this- no, 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 no. I, I'm just saying they won't necessarily wait to draft a quarterback. That's the only part of what Mike Tannenbaum said that I don't agree with. He said, well, if Wilson doesn't show out, they'll draft a quarterback to replace him. Oh, I think him. if it's week they 10 or whatever, do it that. looks like it but looked like I'm, last year. I'm saying if he isn't ready and performing by the middle of the season, I think he'll get some time. But at the bye week, they will make a change if their record calls for it and Russell Wilson's performance calls for it they will make a change they will not go through what until he was fired Nathaniel Acker was perfectly willing to go through and that was a full season and maybe longer if he had stayed longer somehow with Russell Wilson this isn't Nathaniel Hackett here this is a guy who is serious from the beginning he will judge people on the merits and what Tannenbaum described is what Peyton maybe not so many words, but generally uh, got across to his team is exactly the same thing that Parcells always said. And if you don't think Parcells and Phil Sims had spats, both public and private, you weren't paying very close attention when they were together for not one, but two giant championship seasons. Although Jeff Hostetler replaced 
and injured Sims late in the 1990 season. And the Giants, uh, owing to uh, the talents of uh, their coaching staff, including Bill Parcells, managed to get Jeff Hostetler ready to go win a Super Bowl yes, when they were rather substantial underdogs to the Buffalo Bills. It was one of the few times during an era in which uh, the NFC won 13 straight Super Bowls, one of the few times that the AFC was the favored team going into the game, and that was in 19, following the 1990 season. And the idea behind this, obviously, is that under Sean Payton, the, the Broncos, with the exception of two and maybe three people, certainly Justin Simmons, certainly Pat Sertan, perhaps Jerry Judy, but they were willing to entertain trade offers for him, so I suspect maybe not so much. Otherwise, everyone else is basically, to a certain extent, if you want to envision it that way, almost looked as a rookie. I haven't coached you guys. I don't know who you are. I guess Marcus Calloway, who they brought in from New Orleans, has a background with, uh, with Peyton. But for the most part, uh, it's all starting over for them. Great. You were on this team last year. Uh, there's there's a little bit of the overlap that we've talked about with CU football and Deion Sanders and and players being frustrated, uh, you know, that transfer out or, or having to look. I got a brand new look with the new coaching staff. Look, uh, up at CU, you were on a one-win team, okay? That's the reality. Uh, this was a five-win Denver Broncos team last year. Cool, you were a starter on a five-win team. Sean Payton's going to look at that and say, prove it to me. Because we expect to win more than five games. And well, prove to me that you're going to be that guy. Two, two guys are probably exceptions to that. And we talked about them yesterday. Justin Simmons doesn't have to prove himself. Nope. And Pat Sertan nope. doesn't Those have are to the two that are safe. Patrick Sertan. Um, he prefers Pat, so it's okay. Well, okay. That, that's, uh, <laughs> I didn't know that was his father's name. And uh, Pat and Patrick, uh, at least with Patrick Mahomes, uh, the mom, the wife, the woman in the group insists that they be called Pat and Patrick. So I've I've always talked about Patrick Satan, but if he wants to go by Pat, I don't think I'll stand be by what I fusion anyway. Said. It doesn't make any difference. No, that's <laughs> Mike Malone and Michael Malone, and it's funny. Michael Malone upbraided a ESPN interviewer uh, a few years back in the playoffs for referring to him as Mike, and yet every single national commentator, including those who know. Alone pretty well, without exception, refer to him as Mike. Without exception. Call Mike. I mean, until Ernie Johnson says, well, you may get in trouble for that because he, well, <laughs> that, was a, called that, was that was a female reporter. That was a female reporter. It wasn't Charles Barkley. Yeah, he's, he's not going to call anybody out. But Pat, Patrick, whatever, those are the two, those are the two people who are safe. Uh, everyone else, including Russell Wilson, is uh, is playing for his job. Maybe not through the first half of the season, but at some point this year, if he is only marginally better or different than he was last year, the Broncos will certainly entertain, as Josh McDaniels did last year with Derek Carr, the idea of playing Jared Stidham. It's not impossible. It really isn't. Uh, keep in mind, by the time the Broncos were uh, starting game 13, for the first 12 weeks of the season, Russell Wilson had eight touchdown passes. I mean, yikes. It's got to be a lot better than that. If Sean Payton had been the how coach much, last uh, year, 
Russell Wilson would have been benched. How much worse can Jared? That's probably the simplest way to put it. And so things have to change. Uh, Wilson seems to have lost weight, and, and the focus obviously is there on winning. Uh, you heard more about uh, that yeah, a lot yesterday. of weight to lose. Uh, a little bit to lose. So this will be an interesting offseason. It is obviously extremely important for the Denver Broncos. Want to know what you think as well. Our call and text line is 303-831-1340. Yeah, they don't have a kicker. Don't worry about that, okay? That'll come in time. That's not a concern. Uh, nor is it a concern for Brandon McManus, who ended up with the Jaguars. So for the Broncos, uh, OTAs will continue into next week. We'll stay on top of that, but we will turn our attention to the Denver Nuggets as they would continue to await their opponent in the NBA Finals. Has the worm turned? Is it actually starting to look like the Celtics? Is that a problem for the Nuggets? We'll talk about it all next on My High Sports. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Welcome back, and a very, very happy Friday. We will have to wait a little bit longer for the Denver Nuggets to find out who they will play, of course. Boston did what they were expected to do, given the injuries, an almost comical number of injuries to Miami at this point, especially at, at the guard spot where they have lost Victor Oladipo, where they lost Tully Hero, where they have now lost Gabe Vincent last night. Uh, they ended up losing rather badly at uh, in, in Boston. They lost at 110 to 97. Not a shock. A local product, Derek White, showed out uh, for the Celtics, by the he way. Did. 24 he 24 points looked really good. He was great. But you and know he it's was a... the three-point shooter who really got him going early, and he was the high-point scorer mm-hmm. uh, in the whole game. The game. whole game, yeah. yeah. 24 looked really good. Uh, one of the guys that's actually been pretty consistent for the Celtics, to be totally honest, on a team that uh, plays sort of disconnected basketball where everyone just sort of gets theirs. Uh, White, 8 for 11 last night. So oh, good he was, uh, for him. He was great at both ends, too. Uh, he's an excellent defensive player, and he did a very nice job. In fact, uh, the Boston backcourt really dominated Lowry and Struess last night. They had a combined eight points over 54 minutes of uh, combined action. Uh, Lowry... He's been a major minus player in this yeah. series, whether starting or coming off the bench, had five points, and Struess had three points. Lowry's five came in 30 minutes. Struess's three came in 24. He had no rebounds, only one assist. Struess is a minus 20 in 24 minutes. Yeah, the backcourt was, I mean, shut down. I mean, between Lowry and Struess, two rebounds, two assists, four turnovers, eight points, minus 25. Yikes. Uh, you know, Lowry, of course, uh, six-time All-Star, has been a great player. Best days are behind him. Well, he's 37. Uh, right, and that they're asking him to do a lot in, in Vincent's absence. You also kind of got the impression in this game. I mean, uh, Jimmy Butler only took 10 shots. Right. And I, th- I think there was sort of, I'm not saying that Miami flat-out punted the game. They did not. At the same time, I think they understood the hill they were trying to climb and we're well, maybe a little more understanding. Hey, in the fourth quarter, we're going to need to take care of business in Game they Six. They did in what Miami. most teams would not do, and they sat Butler and Adebayo yeah. for the entire fourth quarter. Uh, interesting because uh, Eric Spolstra, who certainly knows 
what he's doing. Uh, seems to have, uh, along with Jimmy Butler, uh, for that matter, placed all the psychological chips for Miami on game six. Very interesting. Interesting gamble. Nobody is even hinting at the possibility that they might have to go back to Boston because I think they realize if they do, they will be the first team in NBA history to lose a 3-0 lead in a best-of-seven series. Yeah, it, after 150 times. We will have a little bit later on in the program an historical reminder having to do with the Nuggets that coming back from 3-0 and at least tying a series against a distinctly superior team is not impossible. And the Boston Celtics are not a distinctly inferior team to the Miami Heat. Uh, they are not. The, the One of the two-plus players, by the way, just more of a curiosity for uh, the Heat last night. In only three minutes, obviously, it was garbage time. Uh, Nikola Jovic, similar name, also from Serbia. They're 19-year-old. They're uh, born in England when his father was playing over there, but a uh, uh, fellow Serbian, Nikola Jovic, uh, might be a little bit of a fun story. Were the Heat to advance, but all of a sudden, uh, the Heat, Sandy, are no longer the favorites in this series. Isn't that something? Uh, Boston is the favored team in Miami, not by much. Wow. But Boston is favored for game six. I happen to think Miami will win game six. What makes you, what but, makes you think they've got that? Um, just because uh, I, I think it will be a big Butler game and he will drag everyone else around. It is also, at least according to the people on site who were telecasting the game last night all but certain uh, that uh, Gabe Vincent will return for game six. And I think they missed him last night a lot. And it, it wasn't just the talent they missed. I think they missed his grittiness. And Boston was the grittier team. Boston, we, we know Boston's more talented. But Boston was the grittier team last they're night. they capable of that. And uh, you know who needs... Uh, maybe more than Jimmy Butler or any of the other Heat need uh, Gabe Vincent back in the lineup. I think Bam Adebayo uh, needs him back in the lineup. Bam Adebayo has not looked good the last couple of games, and the Celtics now feel confident in throwing any one of at least four defenders at Adebayo and shutting him down. Robert Williams, Al Horford, Marcus Smart, Grant Williams. And there could be more. Tatum and Brown probably could guard out of Bayou. So even if Miami does win tomorrow, and I'm far from sure of this, I, I just have a sense that it's still, boy, it's hard it to, takes it's hard so to much out of you to come back uh, from 3-0 down just to win two games. Uh, the Denver Nuggets, about whom we'll talk later, in 1994, and Jeff Morton made this point mm -hmm. yesterday with yep. us. We're down 3-0 to Utah, distinctly superior team, came back, tied the series, and had nothing left for game seven. They're never in the game. They had nothing left. And you look back at that series, and I refreshed my memory yesterday. I had forgotten that there were a couple of overtime games played in that series, won a double overtime game, but that the Nuggets, in coming back, won by one point in regulation. In double overtime, they won. You talk about it, they ended up winning by eight, but it was double overtime. Mm -hmm. And they won game six 
by three. Imagine the stress. They probably should have lost two of those three games, and they only needed to lose one to be eliminated. Now, in fairness, the Jazz won game three in a game the Nuggets honestly should have won uh, at Old McNichols Arena, and that was an overtime game. But there were actually three overtimes played in the last five games of that series, and the only truly bad Nugget performance in the series was game seven when they had nothing left emotionally. So I, I think some of that may affect Boston tomorrow night, and I would expect uh, Miami to treat this game as an elimination game for them. They, they I, need to. I don't they need think to. they believe they can win in Boston. Again, they've already won in Boston twice. You, you go you into a series with or without home court. Mm. If you win two on the other guy's floor, you expect to win the series, don't you? Yeah. With or without home court advantage. And you not, expect not need to, to do win it the series. Three times to win the series. It is funny, though. That Beating the, them three out of four in Boston, that's a tall order. The Celtics, I mean, as it stands, our friends at Superbook right now, you know, the Nuggets are at minus 180 to win the title. That makes sense. They're already there. The Celtics are plus 280, and the Heat are plus 550. Uh, people mm-hmm. don't believe in it. They're not buying into it. And, well, I, and I think that's kind of interesting. And some of this is the Celtics' mystique. Here's here's the other problem with the Heat. Uh, they have a starter in Kevin Love who doesn't even play 15 minutes right. in most games. So uh, Caleb Martin, to me, is their third best player and maybe their second best player at this point behind Butler. All right, and ahead of Adebayo. Adebayo's had a rough run. you look at their numbers last night, and you're saying, well, Duncan Robinson had 18-4-9 with just one turnover, and he was plus 7 in 28 minutes. Well, 28 minutes were garbage time minutes. Most of the game was played in garbage time. Highsmith had 15 uh, with two rebounds, one assist, a couple of steals. He was a plus player over 36 minutes. Tells you how much of the game was really competitive. I, I would submit not even a quarter was competitive that game was yeah. over in the first five minutes it was yeah, the, the competitive portion of the game ended after five minutes and and caleb martin who i love 14 points five rebounds a uh, couple of turnovers he was a minus eight player in 32 minutes he was out there earlier than highsmith was or robinson was last night and uh, he kind of got caught up in the wash although i didn't think he played badly um the celtics because brogdon's hurt only played two guys off the bench, and only one of them played more than 20 minutes, and that was Grant Williams, who at the beginning of this series did not play CD. It was a DNP CD. Well, in the postseason at home, uh, Miami's numbers are interesting because Jimmy Butler is, is averaging 30 points a game at home, seven boards, 4.9 uh, assists. He's going off out of bio. Uh, interesting part with this, out of bio at home is 16.1 points, 8.7 rebounds. That's almost exactly what he's doing just against the Celtics. In, in this series against the Celtics in the five games, 16.2 points, 8.2 rebounds per game. So, But it, but it feels like he has been uh, lesser in the last couple of games, and, and they need him to bounce back. And I think that's maybe where Spolstra, who is clearly not only the most accomplished coach left, but uh, I think clearly the best coach left in, in out of the three, but... I think it was a pretty wise decision. Play his guys, be like, okay, this isn't really going to happen. 
You can see Jimmy Butler's out there taking sh- 10 shots. Don't exert a lot of energy. Oh, I agree. We're, I- we're saving this for games. Game six is our last stand. It's our Alamo. Uh, that's what we're building towards. Uh, we're going to try to get it done there. Of of the three remaining coaches, he's the only one who would have done that last night. And I think it was very smart on his part. And it gives Butler an opportunity to come at game six with full force, uh, not having to worry about fatigue. And uh, the Adebayo thing was, I, I think, as much of a benching as it was a, a, a resting to get it him ready. It might have been a bit of a statement. Because uh, this was the time to do it, right? Well. You need him in game six. This, and this you is know the game what? you're not going to win. I thought Cody Zeller was better than Adebayo last night, the backup center. Uh, so, and, and Eric Spolster is also one of those guys. If Adebayo doesn't have it going early in game six. He's not going to wait. He'll, he'll put Zeller in there or he'll go small with, with Caleb Martin, uh, along with Butler. I mean, the bright side is out of bio. Smith is and Lowry and Struess. And of career, course, I, I would think Vincent would play. His career gives you belief that out has plenty of uh, ability to bounce back and have oh, a good I, I, I'm not knocking. He's, he's, just, he's it, just been a little He hasn't off. been good the last two games. And uh, I say that's been good. I, I don't care about his shooting percentage or anything like that. Uh, I look at six turnovers in 32 yeah. minutes. And I look at 16 turnovers for their team, and I say he committed He's about 40%, almost 40% yet. of their turnovers. And what's happening with that? His fault. You see them collapse on him uh, when, when he gets in that paint. They're trying to collapse on him because Adebayo does not have a tremendous amount of range, uh, obviously, as well as, as, a, as a shooter. Well, so you're collapsing on him, and, and he's, he's a little— he's missing hook shots. Yeah. From five and feet away over to, little guys. And he's slow to see those double teams yeah, right now. And he's not he, he's losing that ball instead of getting the kickouts. And and you would think that uh maybe after a couple games of that, uh, he'll start to get that figured out. But uh, there's a logic to it. Jason Tatum still had to go forty one point forty one minutes in a blowout game. And and I get it. He's young and can kind of run all oh, day. Oh but, yeah. But as long as you can invest that that time where they have to No nobody else plays for like you're like you're saying though, the energy it takes, not just the minutes on the court but the emotional and mental energy to try to come back from three games down. Uh, you talked about it. it it's, it's real. It is, a, hey, it is Jason, a challenge. Jason Tatum got a lot of rest in the fourth quarter of the first three games when he basically didn't score. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, don't, uh, I don't worry about Jason Tatum being fatigued, and I don't think the Celtics worry about him uh, being fatigued. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I think it's worry about probably the fresh. a good get Butler's move. case will be more yeah, fresh. Yeah, no doubt. But they, the Celtics can't control that. Actually, I think Missoula made the decision after game three, understandably, so that, you know, I'm, I'm going to play the two uh, Williams boys and I'm going to play uh, my five starters uh, anywhere between 30 minutes and 41, 42 minutes, and that's just the way it's going to be. I'm going to ride with my starters and, uh, you know, maybe Grant Williams plays 25 uh, especially with Brogdon being hurt and not playing really much at all. And uh, Robert Williams uh, will get his 15 to 20 minutes. Basically, uh, he'll play the minutes that Al Horford doesn't play. So that that could be like a 30-18 uh, split. And I thought Horford was excellent last night, plus 10 and 29 minutes, uh, six points, 11 rebounds, five assists, a steal, a block, and no turnovers. No turnovers, and he was a threat from three-point land, and that was the big thing about the Celtics, who have, uh, uh, you know, it, it's it's one of those stats. When they shoot over 40% on threes, they're almost unbeatable. And 
if they're taking 39, 40, 41 threes or more, it usually bodes well for them. Um, there were very few free throws, if you noticed, in the game last night. Fewer than 30 uh, on the, both the sides combined. weren't interested in taking a lot of physical risks. I think that was that was pretty evident, too. So I think that's part of it. Of course, and the, the, the Heat only shot 23 three-pointers and only took 78 shots in the field. That's a function of the, the 16 turnovers and also being beaten on the offensive boards by the Celtics 12-10, uh, to 10, uh, which is another thing. If Boston's beating you on the offensive boards and getting second-chance points, they had 17 last night. They had 27 uh 17 second-chance points last night, and they had 27 points off the 16 turnovers. Pretty impressive. So the one thing against Boston, 15 or more turnovers, if you commit them, you're in trouble. And if they're out-rebounding you on the offensive boards, you're almost certainly going to lose because they will mix in always a lot of threes. We will find out a little bit more on Saturday when those two teams uh, tip it off in Miami, but uh, obviously there's other sports to be uh, enjoyed until then, so bring that big bad energy this summer with our friends at Superbook Sports. Superbook Sports is the most trusted name in sports betting, and right now you can use the promo code MILEHIGH to score up to $250 with their first bet bonus. That means win or lose, they'll match your first bet up to $250 with the promo code MILEHIGH. Simply visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions or Download the Superbook Colorado app in the app stores. Enter the promo code Mile High, and you'll get two hundred fifty bucks, courtesy of Superbook Sports. Gambling problem? Call one eight hundred five two two forty seven hundred. We do every team every day here on the show and a Mile High Sports. We have news with the Buffs. We have news with the Rams. We have even a little bit of news with the Rockies in regard to the visitors. We'll talk about it next in Mile High Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Like I mentioned, we do every team every day here, and even you know, even more than uh, more than teams. Our own uh, Danny Bailey in the booth, of course, is a uh, a skier extraordinaire. It's uh, on the slopes a lot, so I want. I assume you already know this, but anybody who's going to enjoy the long weekend, if you're going to try to sneak any in, you have to hurry because. Uh, Winter Park will shut down on Monday, and then uh, Memorial Day. Yeah, on Memorial Day. That isn't uh, unusual. No, no, dude. Then uh, that's that'll be the second to last. And last one will be uh, a Basin. Will then close on the fourth of June. If you're one of those folks, if you, Danny, have you have you ever done the Lake Reveal? I have not. Okay. Like, do, you, do you want to tell people what do you know what it is with the, the Lake Reveal up there? They don't do the rundown. I I, I can tell people it's. Yeah, if you want to share it, that's just when they ski across the the pond right. at the bottom, right? Because right? what Water happens is, is at the base of the mountain. They call it Lake Reveal, right? So all, all the melt off hits at, at the bottom of a basin, and that they call it Lake Reveal. It just forms as a big pond, and uh, skiers always try to go across it, see if they can pick up enough speed, and then go across, you know, with their momentum. And um, it's usually a disaster and uh, entertainment on uh, your social media and YouTube of people going for you. So you've never you've never done that. You're smarter than that. 
I wouldn't say smarter than <laughs> just I once the weather gets warmer, my brain kind of flips Goes the switch off from, from the, skiing to other outdoor activities. Right. Uh, the A Basin News release, by the way, said we understand everyone's burning question is whether the Lake Reveal will be open. The answer is we hope so. Lake Reveal is natural and reveals itself when it's ready. That's a solid press release. Nice, nice and cryptic. I like that. So if you're going to ski, uh, hurry up. Also, maybe try water skis. I don't know if that works. Good news uh, locally around uh, uh, the college season, of course, up in Fort Collins. Uh, Isaiah Stevens returning to the CSU men's basketball team, one of the best players in their history. He has a lot of their records. He, he's terrific. And, uh, and they'll bounce He gets back. the fifth season because of the, the pandemic right. <laughs> exceptions, obviously. The pandemic is still having an effect. Yeah. And um, uh, four-time All-West all, uh, all, Mount all West Mountain Conference. West. Yeah, he, he's he's terrific, and um, uh, Nico's a, a terrific coach, and they will bounce back next year. They had an off year this year; they will be back. He has a chance. Uh, he has one thousand seven hundred seventy-four career points, the CSU record, one thousand nine hundred and eighty by Pat Durham, who played back in the uh, in the late eighties. So he has a chance to uh, take that record as well. So uh, good news for Rams fans uh, as that basketball program continues to evolve. For the Buffs, interesting sort of news in the Denver Post. I don't think it's a surprise, but I think it's interesting. The the contracts for Sean Lewis, the offensive coordinator under Deion Sanders and Charles Kelly, the defensive coordinator, three-year right. deals worth $2.7 million yeah. at least. With incentives. With incentives. They could become million-dollar coordinators. Right. Now, right. this, for those of you who maybe weren't in the know of that, and I know we talked about it uh, a, a little bit before Sanders was hired, was one of the absolute keys. Sanders wanted what was considered at least a more or less unprecedented for his relative experience level, a pool for assistance. Reportedly, was requesting about a $7 million per year pool for his assistance. Now, obviously, if it's about a million each for your offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator, right. you're looking at the rest of the coaches. Right. Part of the reason he's at CU is because that significant assistant coach pool did not scare them off. They understood that Deion Sanders is your quote-unquote CEO head coach. Uh, look, on game day, and I'm not trying to minimize what Dion is going to do or what he has done at Jackson State. Dion is working the refs, deciding when to call a challenge, hitting the timeouts, uh, giving sort of a general, you know, that there may be well, a, they go for it on fourth a down thumbs up, not. thumbs down by the coordinators. But but the, the in-game Coordinators coaching, will run the game. They're running the games. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that because no. Dion's work happens, uh, you know, sort of for the most part, uh, Monday, Sunday through Friday, and in the recruiting aspects and bringing the overall direction right. to the program. Uh, in modern college football, that's not that uncommon, and, and coaches who are even more accomplished than Dion do the same thing. Well, I, I, I'll cite Nick Saban, and, and listen, people see all the time Nick Saban will yell at assistants and yell at players during games he's engaged in the game but he's not calling the offense and he's not calling the defense right it's not much different so uh that's one of the reasons that that sanders is here i think that part's kind of interesting go check that story out uh in the denver post an interesting story about how that's all going to work bad news for the colorado rockies uh, obviously brenton doyle yeah, didn't a get a chance to see it in the ninth we, we, we saw that yesterday yeah, we, just as we were right as the show the ended we watched it on the television here in studio uh, doyle had a chance to end the game by uh, robbing a home run, he actually did clear the fence, uh, robbed the home run, but as he collided very hard with the fence, the ball came out of his mitt, so it obviously counts uh, as a home run. But one of the very few bright spots of this team 
Obviously, Brendan Rodgers knocked out for the season uh, prior to the season, maybe perhaps the brightest spot uh, on the team last year. Doyle, who's added a, an element of speed and really good defense yes. in the outfield, uh, had to be carted off, unfortunately. Uh, Bud Black said it is a knee contusion. They will hopefully know more uh, tonight. Uh, they hopefully maybe can avoid the injury list. He, but. he didn't appear to be in a tremendous amount of pain as he in, got on the Initial test said ligament. There were no torn ligaments. Right. No torn Big ligaments, which, which is good news. Right. So the, the contusion... Uh, deep bruise, whatever you want to call it. Ho- hopefully, that's that's all there uh, there is. And uh, again, we, we know there is apparently no ligament damage. That's that's great news. Uh, I had a chance to uh, go out to the uh, park last Saturday, less than a week ago, and um, he's a hell of a center fielder. Uh, yeah. Good instincts. The hitting needs good some work, but, but yes. Oh, yes. He, he's, uh, yeah. He's his about is, as good. Is solid. He is about as good as any center fielder they've had defensively. Rockies will take on the uh, the Mets visiting. Uh, tonight is supposed to be uh, Max Scherzer on the mound, Justin yeah. Verlander on Saturday. The Mets all of a sudden, which uh, they, they looked a couple weeks ago as if it was a disaster. Now, all of a sudden, turning things around. Pete Alonso with 19 home runs uh, on track to be at the Aaron Judge Level yeah, he certainly I, I, is capable of that. We know his power he is, but Yankee Stadium now is a better home run park that, than City Field. Yeah, and definitely. so I, I think playing half his games at City Field, it'll be hard for him to get there. But um, the Yankees who struggled early are second in the wild card race. Three teams make it, of course, uh, in the American League, and the Mets are third in the National League in the wild card sweepstakes right now. They're the last of the three qualifiers, only half a game ahead of. San Francisco, only one game ahead of Miami, only two and a half ahead of San Diego and Philadelphia, only three ahead of the Cubs, three and a half ahead of the Cardinals, and believe it or not, only four games ahead of the Rockies. There's good news and bad news in that. The Rockies are only four games out of a wild card spot. That's the good news. The bad news is they have to, including the Mets, climb over seven teams. They get into the wild card picture. (laughs) That's the bad news. And the only two teams further out from a wild card spot in the National League are Washington, four and a half out, and Cincinnati, four and a half out. In the American League, there are four teams who are much further out than four and a half games. The American League is tight, but there are only six, maybe, maybe seven teams in the American League who are competing for those three spots. Uh, Everybody in the National League, including the two teams with the worst records, the the Washington Nationals and the Cincinnati Reds, are inside of five games out. But, of course, there's a lot of traffic there. They are only looking up. There's nobody chasing them. (laughs) (laughs) They're They're at the bottom. And the Rockies, until they won yesterday, and as it turned back. out, they they First, scored a run uh, in the ninth. I was going to say Ezekiel extra, extra innings, but it was uh, bottom of the ninth. Yeah. And uh, yes, the game should have been over on on that uh, fly ball. Um, unfortunately, not only was it not over, but uh, Doyle got hurt. Uh, but uh, they showed some scrappiness, and they have won fourteen of the last twenty three games, which isn't. An amazing not hot stretch, but it's not nothing either. Yeah. And for a team that was eight and twenty, it's actually pretty good. And I think for another year, the Rockies will escape 
uh, the dubious distinction of losing 100 games. They will manage to dodge it again, but the uh, crowds, an impactful part oh, of what might the change the story. For the Rockets. I, I think that's the story of this early baseball season in Denver, that attendance is markedly down from previous years. And I, I say, it, you, you talked about it uh, a week or two back, that they are not going to be a top 10 team this year across Major League yeah. Baseball in attendance. And well, uh, they the first time always time. have been. Yeah, it would be unusual. And uh, uh, the last tidbit for those kids, more just, you know, Colorado local scene. Uh, Casa Medina, no opening date yet set, but uh, but uh, four-time James Beard nominated chef. That's right. You actually have that at Casa Medina. That's what happens, I guess, when the uh, South Park. Will they be there. open in time for the uh, NBA Finals? Uh, probably not. Probably they did not. release uh, their menu. But that, that'd be a hell of a party yeah, spot. That would be a spot. Uh, you can find more about it over at our, at our sister site, Mile High Life. Had an opportunity to give you a bit of a sneak preview uh, of it for uh, Casa Bonita. As it gets closer to opening, the menu is up. And uh, give it a look and see what's going on there. But, I mean, obviously a, a major shift. And uh, maybe my favorite quote uh, from Chef uh, <laughs> Rodriguez, the health department loves us now. That's that's all you need to know. So congratulations. We'll find out more about the that. The department does not love everyone. Uh, not everyone. And maybe didn't always uh, love the uh, Pepto-Bismol colored building uh, out there. So we'll see you get that opening. But check out uh, mylifelife.com for more. The Broncos are at OTAs. The Denver Nuggets await their first ever finals. One of our uh, great locals on Bell High School, University of Colorado. Justin Adams from CBS News Colorado joins us next to talk about both on My Life Sports.